Sir. Tikkunyuni, AI guru. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> no, we've done things together. We won the um, ethics submission from Deakin. Standards, uh, for, AI standards AI, as well. AI yeah. standards. And, uh, Melbourne Law Week. Yeah, we did the yeah. Knowledge Week panel. That was, that was a bit of fun. Yeah. Did some weird thought experiments. And I went, oh, man, if I could talk to Leonard. The shenanigans that and ensued. You, and you refused me at the time, but now you're here. I finally got you. <laughs> In fairness, there was a pandemic going on. There's <laughs> a light pandemic for a minute. And well, I guess things have changed. Yeah. Things um, have changed from those where we were, had, had lots of things to consider, you know, about inclusion and all these sorts of things. And I mean, things have shifted. Stuff's been weaponized. Yeah. Um, and the landscape has moved a bit. Yeah, I mean, a lot of world events have occurred, right? Mm. And just impact across the board. Mm. So I don't think a lot of people predicted the impact of something that seems relatively innocuous, like a pandemic, and how the economic impact, um, immigration impact, trade impact, supply chain. Mm. All that kind of stuff just cascades. Mm. Yeah. But then the information warfare that really escalates. Yes. In a situation like that. Especially it in. It was already going on before, but yeah. But there makes uh, everyone particularly vulnerable and has escalated things a little. Yeah. I mean, it, it's health related. I mean, in the context of the pandemic, it's health related. Mm. Uh, I put it as like my parents would probably be getting messages and from random people about mm. this vaccine is good this vaccine is bad mm. these side effects that may not necessarily be valid information yet the larger population that would receive this kind of messaging yeah. probably may be less um savvy to the validity of it yeah i guess yeah well it's you mentioned your parents so yeah for the for the young we i guess we need to back up a bit and, yep and you know hear, hear some intro from your family and what, what, what kind of intro would you like well, i don't know say who you are because nobody knows all right cool uh my name is leonard Hume. i am a senior research fellow in ai human factors at the applied artificial intelligence institute Typically, part of my portfolio is to lead health technologies and ethics mm -hmm. for a lot of the things we do. Um, I come from a software engineering background and usability slash human factors type of background. Mm -hmm. Been around a block with a few startups and whatnot, 
and came here to exercise an opportunity to translate some really cool research into impactful things for society. And that's the remit, at least. And that's what we try to propagate as a vision here. Let's go beyond papers. Let's actually touch human lives. Mm -hmm. It's been really cool so far. And the opportunities have been great. So, yeah. So you view someone with some actual technical skill. Um, I used to be. I'm a bit rusty now, but uh, <laughs> well, grounded in that, rather than me who just kind of shows up. And, and I got my first mobile phone in 2016, and that's. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how to uh, Zoom work. So uh, <laughs> that's fair. Um, I mean, I I think. Back when I was doing software engineering, so this was back in uh, so at least 2003-ish, 2002-ish, I was quite adamant against the whole smartphone thing. And mm. 2010, 2011 was when I started moving toward being an app developer as a part of the whole mobile craze at that point of time. Yeah. And that really forced me to get a smartphone that I didn't want to get. And now, unfortunately, it's part of life. Well, that's it. Well, Just I, when you I, think you got out, on. they pull you back in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Movie reference number one. <laughs> awesome. Bit of Pacino. Loving it. Um, let's try mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, we can't even log on here. Unless you have a phone, you've got to do the duo mobile and identify yes. things. Without an app, we can't even log on to it. Which is a bit computers here for work. Concerning as well, right? Because yeah, what if you lose your car. phone? Yeah. I can't park my car. Yeah. yeah. Because the machine's broken, so I have to have the app there. Yeah, yeah. I pretty much can't do anything. Um, it's pervasive. Most shops I can't go into. Just you know, over and... here, we get a yeah. code and you know, um, yeah. Which forced me to have to buy you know, like a decent phone that I could fit more of the apps on. It's a pretty subtle agenda mm. to almost like virtually enforce the requirement of such devices yeah, that you yeah. carry around on a daily basis yeah. just to facilitate well it starts off with convenience right yeah like your phone you just scan it it's so much easier for you and then yeah. it becomes yeah you need your phone to yeah. scan this and and now it's like why don't you have your phone on you yeah. and, and all the other things coupled with like your availability your response time yeah and so on naturally the expectations increase as well so but that's that's all right for us we're senior we're both senior research fellows we you know we've got a livable wage uh yeah academia we, has a very interesting to be able to find workload model yeah and access to pharmacies and <laughs> yeah how, how how does someone who um for lack of a better term somebody on the dole mm. how would they necessarily have what I call the tech infrastructure yeah. <laughs> to get this stuff set up. Even your your COVID vaccination, you need the Service Victoria app. Get up. That's and it. I had a friend that he didn't want that kind of stuff on his phone, so he carried a printout. And you get very suspicious looks because they treat you as if, like, what are you trying to hide? Mm. Why don't you just use your phone? Yeah. Why can't you be open and close inverted commas normal? <laughs> it's just unbelievable. It's all the so pressure that <laughs> all the people who make the commentary about our existence are, are people who don't live the existence of most people. Oh, for sure. You like know, I mean, uh, particularly if you think about globally, most people in the world just simply don't have access to that. Don't have an access to 
you know, enough to thrive, just nutritionally, let alone. You know. Curiously, this tech overlay is a, I suppose, if I was thinking like a politician, the tech overlay is a good way to remove or move the conversation on from necessities of life, right? Food wage inequality yeah. <laughs> social justice instead of that like, oh, no, no we're not talking about that let's let's fence the debate to yeah technology to enable and all that jazz and it's yeah. a very convenient way of saying like no no that, that, that's not part of the debate today that's and that's just an observation i guess like it's interesting um i don't know if i have strong opinions for or against it i think it's easy to politicize issues uh, just broadly speaking they and this is part of safety as a system, right? Yeah. You, you don't necessarily want to put people at risk. Mm. And it's very easy to use the health and narrative to drive home the motivation, that mm. compelling narrative. Mm. Like, do you want to risk your parents? Do you want to risk your yeah. children or your partner? Because that narrative is so um, heavy compared to, say, yeah, but quietly we expect to buy phones and do all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But hey, let's not worry about that right now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's obsolescent devices that you're going to have to replace every couple of years. Anyway. Yep. Oh, it's shocking. Or just well, like the recycling <laughs> and the waste, yeah. the e-waste, yeah. Well, these were all the things we were dealing with and, and talking through. So I cast your mind back three years or so when we were first working you know, together on all this, these issues and... I don't know, when we were, um, you know, kind of doing a bit of futurism kind of thinking and projecting forward and trying to anticipate risks and things down the track and, yeah. you know, just kind of poo-pooing the Elon <laughs> <laughs> prophecies um, a little bit, um, but then seeing a lot of other kind of existential risks. I mean, I guess it would be interesting if you cast your mind back to that time and look at what what we were dealing with then and what we were anticipating dealing with and then look to now and see uh, where we what we're facing now and how much of the landscape's changed yeah and back then when we first did that ethics thing that would have been 2018 2019 i think somewhere around there. it was pre-covid yeah uh, 18 the before the bc yeah. years before COVID. yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. i believe if i recall correctly a lot of government grants for like crcs and whatnot were around sustainability so plastics recycling the mm. circular economy upcycling reuse and so on mm. and it seemed that that was the agenda or the priority to kick off um those things typically run for about five years. So we should be seeing maturation soon. Mm -hmm. and, and like, look at it now where other more urgent narratives have come up and swept up the attention of the public consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's quite convenient how a lot of those considerations get swept away. <laughs> um, I don't know whether it's good or bad. Uh, I think there's a lot of internal tension i think on one hand as an ai researcher uh, specifically a human factors one a lot of considerations for what i think are good ways or bad ways we can employ it or rather than good or bad let's call it effective or ineffective mm -hmm. way we can employ it whether or not there are going to be unforeseen consequences well typically they are <laughs> um 
but it's a bit tricky like on one hand say health tech as an example i want to advance the body of knowledge so that we can finance healthcare to a specific person mm. but i don't necessarily want to be involved in furthering the agenda that everything about my man needs to go into the central repository yeah that can be compromised yeah so yeah every day i kind of feel like it's like um <laughs> it's it's almost redundant i just feel like you almost need to just surrender sometimes maybe it's because i'm a bit depressed but um you know i, I keep resisting doing the facial scan and get into my phone like uh putting that because i think no then they'll have my face and i'm like my face they already got my face there's, there's pictures of me on the internet that that's already there so whoever this day is they already got my face anyway like uh... <laughs> you reckon you reckon they they sort of change the requirements of what they call a functioning member of society without telling anybody <laughs> i do yeah, yeah I, I probably don't fit those requirements well <laughs> that's the thing right a lot of this stuff like on a systems level it's about a majority yeah and yeah. even statistical analysis you know we remove the outliers if warranted yeah, yeah. but and it's easy to forget like when you're uh, suppose looking at it from a government perspective outliers are outliers we need to deal with the math and the numbers and what evidence tells us yeah but when you're on the ground it's like this number is a person yeah. <laughs> this person has a family or aspirations dreams hopes health yeah, concerns whatever concerns you know it, it's yeah it's tough to navigate i think uh, ah, this world but then i think um i mean you look you know, the whole Cambridge Analytica thing. Mm. And, um, yeah, you know, Steve Bannon messing around in there. And when they identified outliers, like vulnerable outliers, you know, with a very thick psychological pro profile, they did that in quite a few countries and were able to uh, swing things pretty horrendously towards some, some pretty awful sort of movements and, uh, you know, decisions and referendums and all that kind of thing. Elections, even. Where do you think freedom and agency of the individual play into these sorts of affairs? Like just as narratives. Okay. Like I, I don't think that that really exists at all. And mm. I think these are just uh, just narratives that are spun differently for different uh, rationalization constructs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so every ideological group has a different story. Yeah, it's pretty much like cults now. Like I feel like the weaponization of information has has kind of followed uh, the induction profile of um, of the way cults work. I don't think enough people appreciate that weaponization of information. Yeah, like it's the I guess I've seen it used as misinformation mm. or so on, but it is somewhat accurate i guess that it can be weaponized right mm -hmm. and most people would avoid the term weaponization because they don't want to cause undue distress yeah. however this is something that can be weaponized it's been demonstrated it can shift public sentiment mm -hmm. with careful curation of what the individuals or people get to see how it resonates with them how it's been empirically validated to resonate with them therefore we give them what's we as in us here but what what the campaign managers elect to try to push as an agenda right it's yeah, yeah it's kind of scary but 
Uh, that, I mean, yeah. I just there, were, there was a moment when I started seeing in the airports. I guess it was around the same time that we were doing our thing. I started seeing our posters in airports um, advertising for military jobs, mm. but like quite explicitly calling out to hackers, mm. saying, "Hey, come in here! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can be, uh, yeah, come in and work for us." You know, it's it's. Well, that's the thing, right? Like as much as, so it's information is just a construct. It has no polarity mm. or valence. And just as bad actors can weaponize it, presumably we can also weaponize it against actors, which is to your point about hiring um, black hats or white hats or gray hats for defense. Everyone thinks they're a white hat. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're a white hat. I mean, how much? How much is um? I don't know. How much is the focus of your work change? Um, you know, uh, sort of recently. You know, with that build up to to war um, that's going on, and sort of you know an increased focus on you know uh, sovereignty and all these sorts of things. I don't personally think the focus had to change much. I've been very fortunate to work with people that inherently don't want to do anything morally wrong. Mm. And I also describe the moral structure as above the ethical structure, because the mm. ethical structure tends to uh, manifest as compliance to it, some sort of legislature mm. regulation, but the moral structure is more we shouldn't try yeah. to advance this, right? And thankfully, I've been fortunate that the people I work with are very keen on thinking through what they do before they try to just do it. Mm. And I didn't even know how conscientious they were until Tao was interviewing a few of our developers for mm. one of the systems we had built. Um, That's Tao Fan. Tao Fan, yeah. She, so, was, um, she did her thesis on um feminist ai some yeah AI and, and bias i believe yeah 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 so yeah it was interesting because when she said like your team is probably the narrative seems to be we need to teach engineers to be more ethical mm. but the from the interviews she's conducted is that the engineers are more ethical <laughs> yeah. than, like on the ground they're a lot more ethical about how they conduct themselves whether it's a byproduct that we have a happy accident here or not, I don't know, but I, I thought that was interesting. Well, if, if a Terminator can learn the value of human life, then maybe we can too. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess. And also just cultivating. It doesn't the... really fit. I just had to throw another movie reference in to get you back on track. You got me thinking of all those memes about the um, Terminator 2 when he was calling home and talking to the mom. Yeah, yeah. And it was actually T-1000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the ultimate deep fake. Before we'd even really thought about yeah. that. Yeah. But I guess uh, maybe maybe that's a call to action to to foster the independent and individual thought mm. to not just uh, be washed up in the collective thinking of this is the vision. Yeah. The individual can go, yeah, but if I'm using it, I would hate for this to happen to myself mm. or my mm. family and and whatnot. So. It's amazing all the um, 
the things that sort of get whipped up as as an existential threat and kind of panics and moral panics even that develop out of things. Such as? Um, well, I mean, let's go with deep fakes. Yeah. I mean, you remember, it wasn't that long ago that there was, people were panicking about that. And there was so much noise and so little signal out there. So, so much noise about, um, you know, it was an existential threat. And, you know, there was, you wouldn't be able to trust anything anymore because of the deep fakes. But then, I mean, as far as I can see, that's mostly just been used for porn. <laughs> that's a good way to monetize it yeah I think yeah it's amazing how much um... but noise the signal the threshold of noise is very uh, is determined by the individual right uh back to what you were saying about different groups wanting to hear certain things that are in alignment with their ideology what they consider to be signal would probably be what some other group considers to be noise, I guess. Yeah, true. And, and even within the tonality of the like the semantics and nuance of oh, the yeah. messaging, <laughs> yeah. that comes into play as well. Damn, we always get trippy when we end up hanging <laughs> out. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But yeah, I, I, and it's it's just this very big complex system mm. and a lot of micro interventions we could try to introduce yeah on one hand as a scientist you want to see the impact on the other hand you're kind of terrified of what the impact might be mm. but that's why i think multidisciplinary work is so important right mm. that's why i mm. feel comfortable giving you a call for like hey is this a stupid idea and yeah, yeah. and you can tell me to my face like don't yeah. do it man <laughs> or radica or emma and so on i think yeah, perspective is important mm. and the academic structure or the research structure tends to be very fenced off because we need to isolate variables for experimentation. Mm. Mm. Some, does, does that help you like determine a signal that's going to be helpful to pick something out of the noise? Depends. I, th I think that's really, that's a really helpful, I mean, for a start, that's a really helpful heuristic for me to think, hang on a sec, it's all noise. Yeah. Right. It's the field of noise. A cloud of potentialities. Yep. Quantum cloud of that. And yeah, it's where, how, where and how you choose to observe and the narrative path you choose to take through that is that's what determines the signal. The signals are not what's out there, the signal is what's received. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think that's, um, I guess in, in research vernacular, a Delphi study is one way to ascertain mm. that, right? You give it to the subject matter experts or something along those lines, and they ascertain the alignment to what they construe as useful or not useful. And the intent, hopefully, if the subject matter experts can come to some consensus, it can be extrapolated out to S, like yeah. formalized knowledge. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't necessarily take into it. That tends to be from the dimension of the SMEs or the subject matter experts as a professional yeah. in that field. A lot of us in, like arguably can serve as SMEs. And when we do these sorts of activities, we look at it as a professional, not necessarily as a person with mm. our own different like aspirations, morals and all mm. that kind of stuff. Maybe we should introduce more of that, that sentiment to the whole thing rather than this is functionally effective, efficacious, mm. 
Mm. But this is um, concerning. This optimistic. Mm. This is cheerful. It's tricky to assign a quantifiable value to those things, but mm. certainly be an interesting avenue to explore. In addition to what we have, which is all about function, mathematical yeah. correctness, accuracy, confidence, and and um, I mean. It's problematic, and this kept, this came up for us in, in a lot of different was expressed in a lot of different ways to work with before. But um, you know, a lot of your ethical choices and everything else, um, you know, within this field is kind of, you know, it's really only drawing signal from certain parts of the stack, you know. And so, you know, um, my concern and only reason for the room really is, is was trying to redirect attention back to the, the base of the stack, which is land. You know, that's what everything's sitting on. Yeah. But that's very difficult. It, it's, it's hard to read, I mean, beyond sort of just making broad, vague statements about, you know, being mindful of, of the land, the impacts of land and, you know, uh, the groundedness of all of this in land it's very it's as difficult as I mean, how aware are you of the creek over there mm. you know from day to day there's a creek just down the hill from us and, I, I, um, I guess my opinion on that might be that's a byproduct of an outcome driven worldview right mm. all of our jobs our economic models tend to be outcomes so Building a bridge back to the land thing. Building a bridge might yield a lot of economic benefit mm. or um, maybe allow you to set up a small town based off of that, increase mm. your supply chain, improve medical outcomes because the hospitals can get their meds and so mm. on. But naturally, that has consequence on, say, the land, the water system, if it does go over mm. water system, the ecosystem as a result of that. Yeah, or the upstream, downstream. The, yeah, and because sometimes things are so outcome driven you got to fence it in mm -hmm. because maybe the decision makers don't have the luxury of the abstract thinking they need to know will this work given the circumstances mm -hmm. so it's presented as a counterfactual <laughs> this will work given the circumstances yeah. is the net benefit better than the net loss and hopefully the analysts the scientists the sessions and engineers have accounted for those things. Mm -hmm. I don't think a, I'm not familiar with a lot of formal mechanisms that ensure that accounting. Mm. Only more recently did I notice multidisciplinary work becoming more prevalent, mm. where previously the ac academic reward system was based on specialization. Right. Right. So hopefully it's a positive for thinking. Uh. But, so, or just having more people that ask certain questions or that are, I guess, of a better term, sensitive to, mm. to these things, right? Like, oh, wait, hang on, if we do this, uh, this is this river is a real like popular fishing strip mm. because um, mm. there's overpopulation of trout here or something along those lines. So we let the fishers, fisher people in to fish, mm. <laughs> you know? But if nobody knows, they're just looking at it as it's a river, I need to build a bridge. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily consider that as a part of the design space. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm shrugging. I don't have answers. It's just that these are some of the questions I try to raise when 
when we, we go for the big uh, projects and stuff. It takes my mind to its story around the Internet of Things yeah. that was sort of really kicking off in Australia around the same time that we were um, doing this AI work and that came into our yarns a little bit. And then I guess later when we did the Melbourne Knowledge Week, I guess we, we were playing with scenarios around smart devices and, mm. and AI, and yeah. these kind of things, you know, the impact. I just, uh, is it going to be in a way that we don't, because I haven't noticed very much uh, going on with IoT, Internet of Things. Um, what, the penetration into the market? Yeah, but is it just happening? Is it just happening everywhere around and we don't even know? Or um, or has it kind of been disrupted with, uh, you know, with COVID and uh, interruption to supply chains and all that kind of thing? Because there were big projections for how fast that would I, that would be growing like 4,000% a year kind of thing. So I've had a few projects um, to introduce IoT into the aged care mm. I, Yes, supply chain has affected it and recent events um, have raised more concerns around things like cobalt, nickel mm. and so on. Geopolitical situations surrounding a region of the world that more semiconductor manufacturing is happening. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's um, it. Certainly, that's a consideration. But uh, what I so every time I approach for a project like this, or we pitch a project like this, it seems like they want to alleviate burden on the carer, mm. which I completely understand. Um, we've conducted a lot of interviews with carers to ascertain their priorities, what they need support with. Mm. Because it's one thing to functionally help someone out when your mom is sick. It's another thing to emotionally support me as I'm going through watching the lady who raised me yeah. deteriorate in front of my eyes, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you, it's, and everyone goes through that differently. So the narrative has, or, or the focus of the project has always been trying to alleviate that burden. And yet we don't want to remove the carer from the equation. Mm. We are still trying to discover a good balancing point between, yeah, we can have some tech consensus that are mm. smart, so to speak, open and close inverted commas, um, that can help your ward facilitate and do stuff. Yeah. Ancillary benefits might be, it fosters a sense of independence, especially for people in Asia. Like we're, we're doing a study now to try to support them through sequenced tasks and figuring out what type of audiovisual stimuli works that mm. they, they best respond to and how to best decompose a, what we would describe as a complex task. So washing your hands. Um, we might approach it as like, yeah, go to like wash hands and dry off. Right? Yeah. But for somebody with dementia, sometimes you need things like turn on the water, wet your hands under the water, pump the soap, scrub the soap, rinse your hands, mm. turn off the water, dry your hands. And one thing we discovered that we didn't quite sort of discover is that sense of accomplishment. They feel like, yeah, mm. I got this, mm. you know, and, and that might have been eroded and forgotten mm. because you're trying to finally help them with activities of daily mm. living rather than uh, fostering independence, um, but, encouraging socialization. What also remains is the kind of embodied, uh, embodied wisdom of, of the what it takes to wash your hands. Yeah. Like what it is to put your hands together. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Where that awareness of your hands and that feeling of the friction. Yeah, yeah. The water, that knowledge of the water, that uh, that feel. You know, the sensation of it, right? Like how how you yeah. you feel the sensation. Because that, that that brings me back to AI and robotics, and it's like well, that's something that um, that's something that we are going get. I read a random Facebook These machines. The, the embodied uh, knowledge that comes with that. I read a random Facebook post the other day about how um, in Star Wars, apparently you don't see a lot of droids after episode two, uh, the one with Ewan McGregor. Mm -hmm. You don't see a lot of droids in warfare because they installed pain chips to prevent the droids being used as disposable soldiers. (laughs) I don't know whether it was a theory postulated by a fan or like one of those universe law bits, but I thought that was interesting. Yes, it's it's funny when... um... I don't know when when a lot of the a lot of the thinking and movement and theory um, you know that gave rise to to BLM you know when, when that sort of started coming through there was a very there was a bit of a shift in attitudes towards <laughs> robots yep. um, you know and, and droids droids and star in the in the Star Wars films I saw that were they were um, there are a lot more respect as sentient entities, and, you know. Yeah. But I guess they always had that nuance and idiosyncrasies, didn't they? I think a lot of this is around definitions, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is the definition of free will, uh, mm-hmm. independence, or consciousness? And different cultures subscribe to different framing around those definitions. Mm-hmm. It's also another observation that we are still understanding the human being. We are still understanding human spirituality, mm-hmm. uh, interhuman mm-hmm. relationships, mm-hmm. geopolitical relationships. And yet a new body of study has arisen around machine psyche. Yeah. Machine relationships. <laughs> human machine relationships. Or human agent teaming. I mean, potentially a machine could make I mean they're not going to have is that that irrationality i mean you remember when everyone went nuts about estonia and that was like hot ass like estonia was the place like yeah the utopian smart city Mm. techno paradise i just there was all this chatter out there people talking about how they were gonna they were applying for citizenship there for estonia and there was you know everybody had a you know complete digital identity everything was was online you know everything was digitized smart homes all over the place you know, um, big moves towards you know everything on blockchain everything crypto everything you know <laughs> like that I, I, I don't hear a lot of people wanting to move to Estonia right now though <laughs> I don't think it's feeling like the most secure location on the planet just now that's an interesting but what, but what i was thinking as you were talking about smart homes and all that kind of stuff there is an appreciation we can better foster i think as a society that introduce these devices mm. we should also try to ensure our energy footprint mm. um this sort of reason because it's real easy to advance down one avenue Mm. if we look at it purely from a convenience perspective right Mm. i've got stuff that turns on my lights 
but really there'll be a cost. So electricity use, maybe you can absorb that with your income. Mm. I don't know about like the emissions that might arise out of that. I can only guess, presumably, <laughs> that would well, be some increase. That's the thing. Um, and so so you most of your decision making there, you know, although in your work, in your research, you're quite guided in what signal you choose to extract from the noise. Yeah, exactly. Like the fencing, yeah. Principles. Yeah. But um, in a lot of other of your life and, and you know, um, particularly a lot of the more the longer term predictive stuff you know a lot of it will keep going with you a lot of it will be going with the more irrational uh, side the more sort of fears so we're by a you know an ai or an agi might you know scanning you know fifty thousand episodes of russia today mm. um you know um, 10 years ago <laughs> I'd be, might, be, might have scanned all of that and gone, yeah, no, Estonia is not a good move. Um, we're going to Iceland or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that's the thing, right? Like AI largely works on probability. And that also assumes that you can, number one, it assumes that you can adequately represent the entire spectrum of P0 to 1, yeah. right? That all the possibilities can be accounted for, which isn't, well, possible in my opinion, but mm. it's a, it's a given assumption in mathematics that you can represent enough of it that the black swans don't emerge. Yeah. Um, the second thing is around ergodicity. So if you do learn from the past, uh, the assumption is that the past is symmetrical to the future, mm. <laughs> which may not be the case because the introduction of this system would already change the future somehow. That's it. Yeah. Well, and predictive modeling needs to be based on the world as it is, though. Yeah. You know, projected from that rather than what you wish it was. Hence the whole... Really good example of that yeah. recently come out of Santa Fe Institute a few months back. Uh -huh. um, it's really interesting. They were taking a look at the, the modeling um, you know, software that was being used to predict uh, COVID spread and, you know, and direct the, yep. where resources would be yep. distributed. And it, they just kept getting it wrong. It's always inaccurate. They're yeah, getting this yeah. completely wrong. And someone said, well, we haven't factored in racism. Mm -hmm. You know, it's basically the model is built on the world as we think it is and as we would like it to be. Like that, uh, which is just, you know, police where, project that yeah, we did. Yeah, the predictive it. policing project. <laughs> oh, yeah. Didn't that fall in the steam and heap? Uh, but it's very hard to get a policeman to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, so, but the thing about this predictive from... stuff. But anyway, these yeah. guys, they, they, um, these ladies, they, they did this, uh, they did this work where they actually, you know, put those values in mm -hmm. um, the racism, which, which actually restricts the movement mm -hmm. of a lot of people in a lot of different introduces constraints. Makes, yeah, <laughs> it, it um, you know, makes different densities of people and how they're going to move and how they're going to interact in different places. So once they included those variables, they actually got some accurate outcomes and we're able to do some better predictive stuff because um, they included the racism in there the structural racism that a lot of people would like to believe doesn't exist but well, that's um, the huge thing like it's all post rationalization mm. how a lab will never wrap, i would say this confidently it would never yeah, the, you won't get that level of performance in the real world. Mm. There are externalities you can't account for. Your data mm. is noisy, missing, yada, yada. Yeah. So on and so forth. 
Um, that's what our stance is always the AI may recommend, but a human needs to make the call mm. because frankly speaking, the human has access to stimuli. Hopefully it's the right human, mm. right? But a human has access to all the stimuli that the machine would not have, such as encoded racism. <laughs> um, to to factor in uh, back to what you were saying that that wisdom of the ages so to speak like we have observed this happens in the past qualify or quantify it but we suddenly feel it <laughs> and that feeling or instinct should not be disregarded as well right <laughs> so uh, yeah I, I'm of the opinion that all AI should not necessarily operate autonomously from the get-go mostly because you don't know what can wrong especially if it's like a medical system or something like that you definitely want maybe the ai works in conjunction with mm. the human in the future who knows mm. we will need to continue to collect data and validate it or evaluate it in use but mm. even then back to what we were saying early early on there are this whole there's this whole world of externalities that mm. can impose impact mm. And we will, the AI will always be playing catch up. Mm. That's not necessarily a bad thing, I think. Mm. Uh, it certainly keeps things interesting. And, and do, you, do you really want a world where the AI doesn't have to play catch up? <laughs> well, I mean, it brings it back to the question of agency that you began with and we'll probably end with yeah. this yarn too. Um, and, and that idea of that, that cloud of noise and you know finding finding you finding a narrative path which will be your signal in that noise. yeah the signal of self. something that we all do depending on our story and it is good to have diversity in that yeah although it's um yeah i think it's it's probably a problem i mean it would be nice for an ai to be navigating a path through that and to see what that is but i think that's part of the weaponization of information has been um you know, pre-selecting a narrative path for certain agendas and then <laughs> people towards that narrative end up as with, well, right? Well, it, it destroys the yeah. diversity of like all the different signals that are being perceived. Instead of that, you get a lot of people yeah. sort of bound together into one big twisted cord of narrative that, um, that can be weaponized for some pretty horrendous movement. The inverse, I suppose, could be true that it could be trained to recognize the movements of such an AI or the movements of such misinformation spreads, assuming it has benchmarks and like unfiltered noise to work with right. and, and detect such, I suppose. And, and even that structure, that narrative structure of it uh, forces a certain message or what have you, I suppose yeah. it could be just send what competing pop-ups yeah it's just based on your behavior exhibited this yeah. it seems like this you want to go down yeah. it doesn't necessarily account for major events have happened in my life and i mm. want to change the way i live you know <laughs> and it will, it will catch up over time but but There'll like you a... said you're still in we are all in this world of noise that's it yeah maybe it's social credits maybe that's the way <laughs> <laughs> that's live man yeah oh. it's life life runs on social credits yeah well, but i mean it's in china <laughs> yeah that's it yeah uh, it's yeah i don't know man it yeah more inequality can arise out of it yeah. maybe more equality could be achieved from it i don't know <laughs> yeah. that's it 
um, it certainly creates a unified signal. Uh, anyway, brother man, we have time. Cool. You Thank know, you so much for, for this. Make, making a four minute slot for me. No worries. That was a great yarn. It always is. We gotta go back and filter this entire thing. <laughs> Scrub out all the inappropriate, <laughs> non PC <laughs> commentary. Did, I think we did all right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We'll just get marketing to approve it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha